Hi everyone, this is Peter Levin, and you're listening to another episode of In Good Hands, a show about the companies and founders solving our climate crisis. Today is a very special episode for two reasons. One, we have Mr. Dan Mahoney back on the hot seat, famed producer of In Good Hands. And the second reason is, unlike previous episodes, we're not going to be diving into a single invention or company We've come today with a list of really interesting projects that are at mile one out in the wild that we want to highlight, or two, kind of a laundry list of ideas, original ideas we have that are just sitting in our idea graveyards that we just want to give out to the world because someone should be working on these. So anyways, Dan, welcome back to the hot seat. (laughs) Happy to be here. Okay, so actually a year ago, I was going on to different area college websites and putting up postings um, for interns to help us with social. And at the Rhode Island School of Design, I got this email showcasing some of the projects that their master's students were doing. And one of them is called the Coral. So the Coral is home algae farming. It's an indoor microalgae farm designed to welcome algae into our everyday lives. Imagine a 18 inch by 18 inch unit that you put on your wall and inside of that 18 by 18 inch, there's these little squares that are filled with algae. And here's why it's interesting. It has roughly 10 times greater CO2 fixation than terrestrial plants. So really good from a quality of air perspective in your living space. And The UN World Conference deemed algae the most ideal food for mankind, and NASA uses algae as dietary supplements on long-term space missions. And the point is, you have this beautiful piece of art that looks incredible in your home, but actually has these unique functions that elevate the quality of your life, whether it's scrubbing CO2 from your living space and making the air quality that much better, And two, you can actually use the algae in your food to level up the nutrient density in the foods that you eat. So I think if we were to zoom out, what are the opportunities to create functional pieces of art that look great, but also have these kind of unique value adds in your day to day? I'm pulling it up now and it is beautiful. It's this sort of leaf-like square box that could fit on just about any wall. And it makes me think I'm moving into a new apartment. And one of the first things on the list was a series of snake plants and, and other sorts of leafy plants to help with air quality and also to help with aesthetics. It goes in with the furniture. And I can definitely see this as being trendy in a way of which People are always looking for art to to cover their home and then having value added, particularly in that clean air lifestyle and the lifestyles that sort of promote healthy living. Mm-hmm. That's a huge fit. But then I ha- I'm questioning the, the food thing. So how does the product, how's the product Work? used? Yeah. <laughs> so like- you get this kit, right? This wall mounted kit that comes with three basic pieces, right? You would choose the number of squares that you want. Mm -hmm. And inside of each of these squares is a kind of self-sustaining farm that will, in cruise control, 
grow grow and harvest algae in the background. So I think when you're putting it on your wall, it's going to give you two ingredients that you just kind of pipette or drip into these little encasings. And then over the course of a week or two, it's just going to start growing and harvesting algae by itself. And I think, I mean, what it looks like is, you know, after a week or two, you can then, you know, pour it into uh, anything that you're making, right? Whether it's a soup or uh, I don't know exactly where algae is used, but I mean, hey, if the astronauts are using it, if it- this is kind of the ultimate hydroponic system for your living room. It, it's, yeah. it's beautiful. And it's, I, I like that it fits a more conventional aesthetic. I think the way this crushes is it's a D2C play where you go on this beautiful Shopify site and you go through this custom funnel where you get to choose the size of the unit you want, you know, a two by two, a three by three. And I think you target urban centers, right? New York City, San Francisco, areas that are just commonplace for having poor uh, air quality. Mm-hmm. And then you just, I mean, I think really just hit home on messaging that's put this in your home. It looks, not only does it look sexy, but it's going to help you rid the the kind of terrible air quality where you live. But I really think this could sell big time. Another really interesting opportunity, I actually posted about it a couple days back, is when the kind of cultural zeitgeist of the moment or these big pressures of today start trickling into different parts of society in one way that manifests is the nutrition label and i've been posting about the evolution of the nutrition label and how over the years as we've become more fanatical about calorie counting you can see how that's trickled down into a number of different parts of our life whether it's our fitbit where calorie tracking is one of the top kpis but also if you look at the physical label itself calories are this big bolded top of mind element you know much larger than any other uh, nutrition fact on the label and the broader takeaway here is how will the pressures of climate or environmental sustainability start trickling down into non-obvious ways such as nutrition label like, will we start seeing you're buying your craft mac and cheese and somewhere on there will indicate what the environmental cost or footprint of the product is? Is something like this coming down the pike? Yeah, I think, especially coming off of last week's episode with Emitwise, you know, finding the way to measure those metrics for taking care of the climate and finding ways to measure sort of microclimate measurements, I think is the biggest obstacle in this Mm -hmm. sort of idea. But if you can find a way to sort of, you know, microtize and get down small, you can almost have a pretty simple, you know, carbon accounting system that you keep in your phone, similar to something like a MyFitnessPal or something Mm -hmm. like that, where people can really sort of track what their impact is through the products they buy. And kind mm-hmm. of putting that top of mind 
for them when they're making their purchasing decisions because we're starting to see that especially gen z that is Mm -hmm. one of the top of mind considerations for their purchasing decisions Mm -hmm. i've seen a couple different concepts in this area so there's there's project ren which lets you offset your daily or ongoing footprint there is another company called joro or jora which links up with your credit card and it audits all of your purchases and then automatically assigns an associated footprint and allows you to either offset those purchases or subscribe and pay what your monthly your estimated monthly footprint will be i struggle with these things dan i mm-hmm. so i think in an ideal world what's $15 a month, you know, when we're helping the planet get better. But, oh, man, I don't know if people will do it. I really don't. People, to me, there's eggcorns, which rounds up, you know, extra cents, extra pennies on the dollar when you make purchases and invests on your behalf. So it's an inherently money or revenue generating exercise that people will pay a fee for. But when it comes to things that are pay to kind of support the planet at large, are people going to pay for these things? What do you think? I think that socially, there's a big question of who should pick up the bill for a product's impact. Should it be the producer or should it be the consumer? And while I think the consumer equation works, you know, comfortably, it's similar to a sales tax, but I think that what we're trying to do is change the trend lines of carbon. And so I think a a punitive, which is kind of what this is, approach isn't necessarily the most optimal, especially Mm -hmm. when people have a rent payment to make and groceries to buy. It's really tough for them to also consider, oh, here's my monthly carbon bill. So I think Mm -hmm. another option could be something similar to Sweatcoin working into the crypto space where you get rewarded based on your net change positive. I think that's a little bit healthier to reinforce good habits and good trends because everyone's always looking to save money or save the environment and finding a way that's, that's beneficial to them is ideal. Wait, so you got to, you got to dive deeper there because that's super interesting. One for the listeners, can you tell them what is Sweatcoin and then how do you think this idea could manifest within the lens of climate specifically? So Sweatcoin is a application in which you get rewarded for the amount that you walk and work out. So it's promoting healthier lifestyles. And so you accrue certain amounts of work and then you get paid right back in from that effort. And so fitting that with climate, as we get better accounting tools, I think that's the biggest obstacle here is how do we appropriately account for carbon? But if we're at a point where we can put that on just impact, we can put that on a food label, we can tap into what your purchases are or what your activity history is. You could even use mm-hmm. some AR plugins to sort of capture plastic being recycled. There's a bunch of different ways to go about this, but if you had a, a concrete way of measuring what somebody's actual impact is day to day, you could then assign percentages based on change and apply an amount to that. So mm-hmm. for every pound of plastic, say that's a dollar. For every you know, 100 pounds of carbon, that's a dollar. You'd have to figure out the marketplace for that. 
The reason why I think that idea fails is if we just look at Sweatcoint as a case study, I think they've struggled big time, A, sustaining interest over a long period of time, and then two, monetizing. Mm -hmm. I remember I tried using Sweatcoin for a month, and to get any meaningful reward would require years of effort. If I wanted to get an iPhone or some gift card. All you have to do is walk 48 million steps. I'm like, okay. <laughs> that doesn't do anything to incentivize mm. productive behavior. I, to me, I think the winning ticket is not after the fact celebration. So it's not something that rewards you for good behavior after you've done it. I think it needs to be at the point of sale, at the point of purchase. So one idea I had, and this is tangential to climate neutral, just a guest a couple episodes ago. So right now, there's all of this hysteria around meat being this, essentially being blasphemous in the world today. It's this terrible thing and no one should eat meat because it's so bad for the world. And the reality is it's much more nuanced than that. And like what we heard from Paul Gamble on the Nori episode is there's this technique called regenerative agriculture mm-hmm. that actually removes a substantial amount of carbon from the atmosphere. So there are ways to raise animals and livestock in ways that are both good for the planet and allow us to continue to eat the foods that we love. But the core problem is there aren't many incentives as it stands today for farms to start transitioning their practices And I think one way we could both incentivize that behavior and also incentivize smarter product decisions for consumers is by sticking a label on food that implies or suggests in some capacity that the food came from a farm that uses these practices. It should be a label that becomes as ubiquitous as certified organic. But when you're making a purchase, I am buying from a farm that is explicitly helping save the planet, right? Is using these planet healing techniques. I think that could be a really interesting way to to incentivize productive consumer behavior. Yeah, I I think that anytime that you, you give consumers the option... And with that option, there's a known benefit. And I think also true of regenerative agriculture, particularly for meat, is it's also a better product. So in line with organic, organic fruits and vegetables and meats tend to be of better quality, of better nutritional value, of better health value. And that's also true of regenerative agriculture, particularly for beef, where it's grass-fed cattle that's way more beneficial for the person consuming that meal. So it's also a trend line in the right direction for public health and things like that. And so reinforcing that and adding that label, I think the power of labels is often underestimated. It can really persuade consumers to making into making the right decisions and being comfortable with those purchases. Mm-hmm. All right, so should we transition to another idea? Yeah, I think that we should. Let's see. Okay, so here's here's an idea that I had pitched to you last week, and I still think that 
we should work on it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but if we're not going to work on it, someone should work on this. And if you're listening and you have any interest in this, let us know and we will support you in any way. So there's this, I mean, it's obvious at this point, but there's this, this huge trend in social entrepreneurship. I would say for every new founder that's launching a company, a significant portion of them is going to want to have some explicit social enterprise bend, whether it's, you know, you buy X and we donate Y, like Tom's, you buy a pair of shoes, we'll donate a pair of shoes, boxed water, they'll plant trees. So I think that model, buying X and we'll donate Y, is going to be a trend that continues to be really popular and probably will become at some point a default approach when you're starting up. Mm-hmm. I think that there should be some plugin for that works for Shopify, WordPress, BigCommerce, you know, all of the above that allows store owners to A select the cause that they care about, B designate how much they want to donate per purchase, whether it's a percentage or they want to plant a tree, right? Like that math is done automatically for you. And then C allows them to effectively enable this model with a click of a button so that the ongoing management of this process is fully automated. So imagine you're some startup and you want to support education, some type of education cause, you know, you can click pencils of promise and every purchase that a customer makes, you send $10 or $5 to pencils of promise, or you even position as you help one, one kid who lives in a developing nation, get access to books or school for a year. You know, I don't know. I I think there's a big opportunity here in creating a SaaS tool that effectively streamlines and manages that entire process for store owners. Yeah. And I think also the linkage between top level consumer oriented business and these sort of donation models or the, or these social benefit models is an important sort of linkage. We look at Nori and they're slowly rolling out and being very successful at it, but they have to acquire each company that's going to go through their platform it's very difficult to sort of bridge that relationship. And so serving as sort of that middleman that can sort of point to and give a number of options. You could change your social benefit month to month. You could change Mm -hmm. it by brand. I can see some it fitting also with online consignment type things, whether it's like Etsy or like Society6, in which, you know, you as a vendor on a marketplace can pick your own social benefit that you want to add into. It makes people feel good to do good. And then also a lot of these social benefits aren't something that's just carbon removal, which is obviously very important. There's a lot of smaller, you know, non-tertiary benefits that are very important to sort of pursue here. Mm -hmm. Yeah, to me, I don't see this project being a billion dollar outcome, but I think that you could create a super high margin cash flow business. And I, I don't think that you make money on transaction or commission percentages. Mm-hmm. Right? I think you want to make sure you're telling 
consumers and the brands that 100% gets redirected to the cause that's selected. But I think that the way you do monetize is a sliding scale subscription Mm -hmm. based on gross earnings. So for young startups, if you're making from zero to $10,000, it's a free tool. Mm-hmm. And then when you're making ten thousand to fifty thousand uh, dollars, there's some type of monthly or annual cost, and I think you just scale up accordingly. So I don't believe this is a massive company, but I do believe that again, it's super high margin. It's not really that technically sophisticated, and what I mean, talk about a great cause to support amplifying or enabling social entrepreneurship at scale dude Mm -hmm. sign me up well yeah and i mean talking about it's not massive i see it being as potentially very very big not necessarily monetarily but in closing that gap having massive massive impact on the world and sort of pushing benefit on commerce you know you think Mm -hmm. about how much money is done every day on the internet and what even a small percentage of that commerce going towards social benefit organizations is massive. All right, let's segue to, I got like a couple more ideas, by the way, this yeah. is really fun. I, listeners, whenever you get a chance, if you listen to this and you've enjoyed this type of conversation, Dan and I have been discussing working in some type of more free flow, lean back conversations ever so often. So, you know, hit us up on Twitter at In Good Hands or DM one of us and let us know what you think. In the vein of ideas that are developing, one thing that I've been really trying to figure out over the past like three or four weeks is plastic. Because plastic with the fall in oil prices that we've had over the last two years or so, plastic is now cheaper to make new than to recycle. And so this is another sort of addition to our plastic crisis in which it's now there's no longer an economic incentive to recycling. It's now purely benefit-based. So setting up a, a ocean plastic waste marketplace where you're a new startup, you want to make, say it's just, it's really cool sunglasses and you want to use ocean plastic. There's one place that you go to to access any vendor that have competing prices on ocean plastic. And now there starts to be a marketplace for it. It starts to be a little bit more competitive. We can start to drive down some of those recycling places. And I think it could also, if you're willing to intake that waste and you're able to have customers, you could even you go one step further and sort of convert that waste into a better product, whether it's you know beads for future molding or whatever it is, some level of processing above just mm-hmm. reclaimed plastic you'd have an opportunity there to sort of sell waste, which I think is something that we need to start solving for, is how do we reinsert waste into our supply chains? Mm-hmm. I mm-hmm. think that there's a ton of opportunity here. The thing that I don't know is who are the kind of suppliers or sources or warehouses for these kind of wasted plastic i know there's like buoyant slots company that is picking up all the ocean plastic i know there's TerraCycle. obviously is picking up a a a ton of different waste streams and they're working on i mean i think they do exactly this right reintegrating 
waste streams into new product creation. But well, Bouillon Slot is actually he's to to fund the company or to add an economic side to it. They are the ones repurposing the plastic into product, mm-hmm. and they're in the early stages of doing that. But I just wonder if, obviously, he's first to the market and has this amazing piece of technology, and I would love to have him on the show about capturing ocean plastic and capturing river plastic, but is it almost too much to ask these innovators who are solving these fundamental problems to then say, hey, now go build another business from scratch to sell off this product so that you can make money? Is there a possibility to make an easier next step where they can just sell off raw material? make sure that their margins are covered and leave it into the hands of another company to sort of turn that into a viable business. Yeah, I agree with you. I think even in Boy and Slot's case, because they're building a fully integrated operation where they have these units on the water that are picking up trash and then they're using that trash to create products, to me it feels like biting off more than you can chew. Mm-hmm. I appreciate finding ways to make the business sustainable and i have to tip my hat to it but i think to your point is there an opportunity to just start selling that wasted plastic to other companies that would integrate it into their supply chains would probably be a lot easier so they can focus on what they want to do just cleaning up ocean plastic instead of creating products what I'd love to do, we should we should have another special episode where we explore the world of waste management. Mm-hmm. Um, like, who are the big dogs? What are the economics? And then we could even peel a, a layer further and look at the other types of new marketplaces that are trying to add liquidity to non-obvious waste streams. I mean, obviously, mm-hmm. we talked about Queen of Raw with textiles. Maybe there's something with plastic here, but that could be a really interesting episode to just explore all the different marketplaces, new and old, that make money on waste. Mm -hmm. So I think we should start to wrap up. Is there one that you really, you really think is the the number one? I think we're good for today. I got a couple more on the docket, but before we keep on riffing, let's package this baby up again. Listeners, if y'all enjoyed this type of lean back conversation, let us know on Twitter, Instagram, on email, whatever you want. And if so, then yeah, damn, let's do this again. <laughs> yeah, I had a lot of fun today. So hopefully listeners like it. And again, everyone, if, if you've enjoyed listening to any of our interviews and you got five seconds, you know, leave us, leave us a little review on Apple Podcasts. That'd be, that'd be nice. <laughs> yeah and if you know anybody who's working on something big or even at the small stages of making something big let us know we're always looking for new people to talk to and new companies to sort of explore mm-hmm. cool dan hey you're a boss i'll talk to you soon yeah. talk to you soon